everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the podcast, The Shift. I'm Shay Candish, the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's General Secretary and the host of this show. The Uniting Medically Supervised Injecting Centre is a health service in King's Cross that seeks to provide holistic care for people who inject drugs. Founded 21 years ago, the service continues to be the only one of its kind in New South Wales. Today I'm joined by two wonderful nurses who work at this facility. Julie Latimer is the nursing unit manager at the facility and Marge White, a clinical nurse specialist, is here and is the longest serving nurse in any injecting facility anywhere in the world. Both of these nurses have years of experience in this space and are passionate about the health and safety of their clients. Welcome to the show. It's so great to have you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. So uh, talk to me. How did you end up working in the space that you're working in? And can you tell the listeners a little bit about what it's like working in, inject- in an injecting clinic? I was working in a, in a methadone clinic during the 90s when there was a huge problem with overdoses in King's Cross. Um, and it became so serious that we ended up having a drug summit in 1999. And one of the things that came out of the drug summit was a safe injecting facility. And I was very excited about that. Methadone is great for a lot of people, but it's a very restrictive um, uh, structured um, therapy. And as a nurse, I guess I felt quite constrained by it. And this was just a new horizon. It's new territory to be trodden. Mm. Very exciting. And Julie, what about for you? So I had um so I had trained as a mental health nurse in the UK um, and was really struggling to find what area interested me. Mm-hmm. Um, my alcohol and drug placement was my last placement on my course mm-hmm. and that really resonated with me. Um, I'd been doing some outreach work at raves in the UK in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, raves like dance party raves, that yes, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, the alcohol and, and like drug field just like really felt like a good fit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did some work in various settings in the AOD field in the UK, um, so inpatient detox, like community drug team, um, and I was lucky enough to work on the pilot trial for like prescribed injectable um, like diamorphine in the UK. Mm-hmm. Then moved over here. Mm-hmm. And here did they have kind of structured facilities for that kind of um, drug therapy in the UK, or was it a really different sort of setup? Um, so it's fairly similar system. to here, yep. um, you know, community drug teams, methadone maintenance treatment, inpatient, outpatient detox. Um, but there was one trial which um, that actually got set up while I was working for the service. And that was the first of its kind. So it was actually providing people with um, like prescribed injectable, you know, pharmaceutical heroin to inject under supervision mm-hmm. as part of treatment. Mm-hmm. And so jumping to the work that you're doing today, take us through what's an average day look like? What's your clientele look like? What are the kind of challenges you face? What are the rewards in the job? Too many questions. Too many questions. <laughs> Let's start <laughs> at the beginning. What's it, what's, it, what's it like? Take us through an average day. I think I always say it's never dull. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, Marge and I have both worked there for a long time and no one day is the same. You know, no, lots it can of be different really things. quiet. Yeah. Um, and things can change quite rapidly. Mm-hmm. Um, COVID has impacted, I guess, a lot on our service. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the practicalities, like someone comes in, you give them a fit pack, they go into a single room or something. Is that what it looks like? Yeah, so somebody will come in. It's a three, um, like a three-stage service. Mm-hmm. So we have stage one, stage two, and stage three. It's a one-way system. So mm-hmm. the clients will come in, um, they'll give us a password or a number. They'll tell us what drugs they're injecting. 
so at that visit um, they'll also tell us what other drugs they have in their system in the last 24 hours mm -hmm. so that gives us a clear idea for any overdose risk clients then move through into the injecting stage we've got eight booths there's two seats to a booth um, the clients will then collect our equipment their equipment from us um, sit down and have their injections and then kind of move through to the aftercare stage mm -hmm. but in all stages what's really important is that we're a welcoming space which is different from possibly any other service that they might enter into. Mm. So even though we offer this um, space that is safe, um, it's also it's also a place that they know our faces. Mm. Um, we know their faces. We get to know them as people, I guess, um, and that makes that's what I think makes us really unique. And talk me through, you know, why is it so important that there is a welcoming space for people to come and inject safely and how the kind of evolution of harm prevention has led to these sorts of um, spaces uh, being created? I think it's fair to say that our clients get a, a fairly rough ride from most of society and you know, even in this like day and age, also in healthcare, you know, we have clients that often say to us, I would rather die, lose my leg, lose my arm, than go to emergency and, you know, receive you know, um, the like stigma that they experience, you know, at the hands of some healthcare staff. And mm. I just feel as nurses, it's our job to be welcoming, non-judgmental. Um, and I think certainly at the injecting space, you know, you work in the AOD field for a while, you hear about people's injecting, but you're never actually present for that. And it's a very private and personal part of somebody's um, like private drug use. Mm -hmm. And I certainly feel, and I know others feel the same, you know, I feel honored like, to be part of that because it's such a private and personal part of somebody's drug use. Mm -hmm. I think the honesty that clients can have within the service is important. To say when working in a methadone clinic, you only, you only heard what you, what they wanted you to hear um, and that was the constraints of that service where right from stage one we're asking you what are you having and that's not seen as a bad thing it's just like we need to know what you're having so we can provide the best service and by looking at what their history of what they've they've used we can sort of um, anticipate whether this is going to be a tricky uh, shot or not mm. so it's it's that honesty that is um, not seen I think in other mm -hmm. services, it's like, I'm going to hold back this information because I don't know what, how that's going to be used mm. or it's going to be used against me. Mm. So really, really great to um, be able to have that person tell us their story and, and tell us what they're having. Mm. And we had a previous um, uh, person come onto our podcast who spoke a little around um, drug and alcohol, particularly here in New South Wales. Um, and he certainly referenced uh, a lot of our sort of practices in New South Wales as being some of the best, frankly. Do you have any view around that, you know, in terms of what's happening um, more you know nationally and whether or not we're keeping pace or what's your take i think we're very conservative here oh, yeah. i think at one point we were actually trailblazers right and i think when we first started we were mm -hmm. but we've been going backwards i think incredibly right um, really conservative viewpoints out there uh, maybe as a backlash i'd know to get the sort of right feel of where we should be at mm -hmm. but really conservative very slow to move forward on anything and i think new south wales is a very big state mm. and so action to move forward just takes 
ever such a long time. Mm. And do you think there's sort of a political kind of view that makes us more conservative than other states or it's it's just the bureaucracy of the system that we're working in? Yeah. I think a lot of it is, you know, even after 21 years, we are still the only supervised injecting facility in New South Wales. you know, we would hope that there would be more, but unfortunately, at the moment, the actual legislation only allows us to have, you know, one of these facilities in, um, like, New South Wales. Oh, that's interesting. And so, from your perspective, there's a need for us to have more as well? Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's very interesting. So, um, going back to the kind of what's an average day like, so talk to us a bit about, yeah, what's your clientele like? What are the nurses like? Do most of them come with kind of drug and alcohol experience, mental health experience? They're not newbies. Not at all. I think they they get the job because they've had some sort of experience in the field and their attitude will Mm -hmm. either get them a place um, um, at the shop, as it were. Yeah. Yeah. That's, Without that, you yeah. don't get in. Yeah, and I it think feels it's most like important. that would be yeah the most important factor, almost, wouldn't it? Having yeah. the kind of right attitude and, and open minded. Um, to I mean, harm reduction has been around for such a long time. Mm. I think Bob Hawke in the nineteen eighties. I mean, that's a long time for harm reduction to be about, and for people not to be on board with it. It's mm. just really yeah. odd. Mm-mm. I think mm. certainly what we've changed are thinking around slightly in terms of recruiting for nurses at the MSIC is that um, you know more recently we have been employing people who perhaps don't have as much experience in the AOD field as you know so as others but I think their attitude and their wish to work there and their kind of interest in working with our client group you know kind of really resonates with the rest of the team so I think that's a big factor for recruiting people at the moment. Mm. Passion's kind of you know nine out of ten sometimes isn't it if you've got that you'll find everything else yeah and And being authentic with it you can't fake it yeah actually yeah yeah so it's really important to be who you are Mm. um, and and share that attitude of positivity I guess Mm, mm. really needed. Mm -hmm. That's awesome so talk to me about the advances in the space so um you know with the introduction of naloxone and some of the kind of opportunities that that's brought how's that impacted the lives of your clients and the work that the nurses are doing that took such a long time to come about um it really really did Mm -hmm. it was held in the hands of health professionals for a very long time but to move it into the hands of people who use drugs just took forever and it had to do i think with its was it, uh, it's classification um, because yeah. when you um, have naloxone, you're not giving it to yourself. So it's not, a, it was a prescription drug that you needed to give to someone else. So that caused uh, problems a bit like. Oh, the EpiPen. Because so yeah. Oh, yeah, adrenaline right. is a bit like when that. You so if you're prescribed. It for someone else to if administer. you're prescribed. Yes, of course. Yes, idiot. yes. No, no, it makes sense. That's a good point, though. You <laughs> yeah. know, because you're not necessarily going to give adrenaline to yourself, you know, in the throes of an anaphylactic reaction. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Um, and so that was one of the problems with when it was a prescription as well. So it's moved through a whole lot of history to get to where it is now. Mm. But one of the, whole, the holding back. Um, issues was because you weren't being prescribed for yourself yeah and so that was because uh, that, that was problematic the, um, the so a doctor shape. is writing a prescription for you yeah not writing the, a prescription 
for you to have a medication to give to someone else. And we see similar challenges even in the aged care setting when you have patients who have got dementia, for example, who can't administer their own medications. So how all of that plays out um, mm. is, is interesting um, in terms of classifications of staff. I digress, but I understand the analogy but, that you're talking yeah, to. So, so we sort of have a, a small training um, routine that we go through with people to see what their knowledge is and um, it's easily available at our service and at many chemists actually those participating and so anyone can actually yep. uh, go into a chemist and say there's a need somehow for them to carry naloxone on them mm -hmm. and it's free. So talk through why would someone for people who you know may not have worked in drug and alcohol why would someone need to have naloxone with them what is it that nurses should know about this? Well I mean I think you know anybody can potentially find somebody um, like suffering an overdose, you know, people walking to and from hospital, especially people working in emergency departments, big hospitals, um, you know, often people may be, um, you know, on the outskirts of that, you know, suffering some kind of distress. And I think the good thing about naloxone is it's a completely benign drug. It's not going to have any effect on you unless you have opiates in your system. Mm -hmm. So even if you give that to somebody who doesn't need it, it's not going to do them any harm. Mm -hmm. um, and I think certainly most of us tend to carry um, like naloxone on us. So just in the event that so somebody does experience an overdose or looks like they're like potentially mm. experiencing that, then we can at least help them. Mm. Um, and if it's not an overdose, then we've at least taken care of that part of things and then we can move on to what the what like, else problem might, might be. be. Yeah. Yeah. But also family members. Um, it's not just Friends. health workers. Yep. Uh, anyone could go in who, who might have that, that risk in their life yep. um, can go in and get it yep. for free. I've got a couple of packets in my bag yeah, as we I speak. Too. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like a well-prepared drug and alcohol nurse would, would have that at the ready, right? Well, what it is is naloxone, you don't want to have a silver bullet, that's not quite right, but it is honestly magic when you see someone who potentially will die in front of you and within quite often five minutes, mm. they're back. Mm and their oxygen rate has gone down, it's plummeting down. And if you had left that person, say on the street, um, within a couple of minutes, um, they would be deceased. Mm -hmm. uh, and it brings them, it's just so exciting. Mm -hmm. And so when clients take it home, um, they've saved their mate's life. And so in a clinic like yours, having a drug like this, but also all of the other kind of life-saving interventions that you're able to um, uh, implement if needed, um, talk me through, because I would imagine you're able to provide a really safe and um, and you know comforting service for clients who can come and you know use drugs in a safe way, but also know that they're going to be protected when they're vulnerable too. Mm -hmm. We don't race into giving naloxone to people. It's taken a bit of effort to actually score the drugs. Yep. To get the money. And so the research that sits behind that to understand is that what you mean? It's just that that's that's the end. Um, practice I guess mm -hmm. uh, we would just give someone oxygen if their oxygen was low might even tell them just to breathe up a bit that yeah, their oxygen right. is low um, so it's sort of like a continuum naloxone is at the end mm -hmm. we we hesitate to give it unless it's needed yeah, yeah. Um, because really we don't want to um, discourage people from coming into the service of a service that would give it um, without reason mm. um, and then when it is given with reason sometimes people don't realise that it was given for that reason mm. and other clients will reinforce what has happened and why they received naloxone. Mm. Sometimes they're a bit cranky. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look, I, 
and it's interesting the way that you frame it. So my background is as an emergency nurse and when we're administering it, it really is at that end stage and you often don't know what someone's had. So, mm. you know, listening to you explain, you know what they've had and there's all those steps in between that you actually can take um, is really an interesting way. I think it helps me rethink it too. So it's, it's quite good to hear that. Yeah, I think that's a good point because that's our difference. You know, with emergency, people have been brought into emergency mm. at the end of an event, whereas yeah. we have watched this person inject the drug that they've used. We've watched the overdose happen, um, and we're able to step in really quickly. Mm. Um, and I think the the like current statistics are most of our overdoses are managed with just oxygen. So about seventy five percent of our, our like overdoses on site are managed with just oxygen. Mm. So as you know, kind of Marge had said, we only step in with naloxone if we really have to. Mm. And so while you've got clients with you, is it also a space where you're offering them kind of drug and alcohol education? Can they access social work if they need social work? You know, what other services are you able to offer or wrap around people? Lots of different things. You know, I mean, we have a, like a really active, you know, fabulous health um, like promotion um, like team, which kind of Marge's part of. Um, the health education team are the other half of the team at M6. So we have registered nurses and, and the like health education officers. The health promotion campaigns that run, you know, every <clears throat> like three or four weeks are just amazing. And, um, you know, things like overdose prevention, mental health, healthy eating. Mm. Um, Hopefully it's relevant to the clients the themselves. Clients. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. And sometimes we try to make it fun. Um, and does it increase the chances of people kind of engaging in whatever programs you're offering or services that you're offering? I think so, because we often, um, so it's also worth so kind of saying we have two full-time clinical nurse consultants, one who is our referral coordinator. He is responsible for organising a lot of the clients' referrals into treatment and a full-time um, like mental health nurse coordinator. So she's, you know, kind of taking care of the mental health aspect of things. So whatever the clients need when they are ready to get it, you know, we have staff and, you know, pathways that we can then put people in um, and assist them from there. Mm. I think one of the things that's quite different from maybe a, a regular nursing head is we're very instructive and we we quite like telling people what to do and what's best for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that would probably be the worst thing that we could do within the service. We would advise, mm. I guess, but, but it is what other people's needs are. I think it's really been partially directed by the client and what the client's looking for. And I think certainly we very much work with the clients where they're at. Yeah. You know, we kind of meet the clients um, like where they are rather than us you know potentially pushing our agenda Mm. on people but as soon as the clients say the word about whatever assistance they need with you know whatever area Mm. um, then we can certainly facilitate that for them. It sounds wonderful though that you know if they show interest in something that you can immediately respond as well like I I feel like that's the workplace everyone wants to work in. Just recently we had um, a service that we've been very close to for a long time, Kirkton Road. And so they've just moved in essentially next door. Upstairs. Upstairs. <laughs> so um, one of the things that is problematic, you can refer someone and there's all good intentions that that person might get to that place, but actually they just don't make it there. And Kirkton Road is only two blocks away, but it's a bit too hard and you end up seeing that person come around. It's like a revolving door. Mm. Um, and they really did have good intentions to get there. So. What we've been doing is being incredibly supportive physically to get people to services. To go and pick them up, is that what uh, you mean? Well, or? they're in the service, but we'll um, we'll certainly take someone to mm-hmm. a service yep. if if need be, and that's how you get someone yeah. to the place that you want. But hopefully, this new service that is right next door 
um, we'll get off, we'll get legs and yeah. have, have clients um, attend that because that's brilliant. Um, as against the um, service in Melbourne has a lot of um, other connected services right there on their doorstep where we haven't, we're a bit more of a silo by ourselves. Right. To have these guys next door um, possibly is a game changer mm-hmm. for, for mm-hmm. all of us actually. Mm-hmm. It's just great. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me, um, one of the projects at MSIC is the Art from the Heart of the Cross program. Can you talk us through that? Um, I just actually checked my figures before we left today, and this is actually the 12th year that this has been running. Um, and I'm sure that, that um, I kind of you'll remember the first year, very mm. small, a few artworks. This is the best year ever, people. Yes. Who's doing the artworks? The clients. The clients, yes. okay. So every year the clients are given canvases, um, mm-hmm. and they can paint whatever they want on the canvases. Usually there's a theme. This year the theme is Come As You Are. Um, and at the end of a month, there's all these amazing artworks that are then um, like shown in a gallery oh. um, like around the area. So it's been really good. And then the, the the clients can have their artworks bid, you know, so then like people will buy their artworks and the money goes straight back to the artist. And I think most of us all have client artworks at home. Oh, wow. Uh, yes, there are a couple of prizes as well that yeah. people um, can also receive, which is, which is great. But people look forward to it. They do. Every mm. year. Mm. It is... It is such an exciting thing. And I think part of it is it's not drug related. Mm. It's yeah. different. It's not all thinking about referrals to this service or that. You're actually doing something that people love doing. Mm-hmm. Untapped skills. Maybe people haven't ever painted before. I am amazed. This year, no joke, absolutely brilliant work. Mm. It's framed up and so, um, and it will be online mm-hmm. so people can bid. Um, this this is our best year yet. I think. <laughs> do you say that every year? Is no, that no. <laughs> I, I, really, year. I do think this year is 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 great. Also, um, COVID has changed how we've um, interacted, done this. Yeah. Normally, it had been people would paint on site when right. they're using, or they could just come in and paint. But because of COVID, we've not been able to do that. So mm-hmm. people have been given paint and canvases to do in their own space. Mm-hmm. That if they don't have their own space, they can actually do it on site. Mm-hmm. But the amazing work that has been brought in, I am just amazed. And so tell me, that kind of leads into, does your centre also serve as a bit of a community hub for some of your clients as well? Like, are they building relationships and, you know, is this one of the other kind of um, uh, things that are offered really, even though it might not be one of the explicit aspects of your service? I think there's an enormous amount of loneliness mm-hmm. without clients. Mm. Um, and we're a bit of a captive audience, actually. You come in and have a chat. You can chat about anything, yeah. really. Um, and so it's it's therapeutic in that you can just come in and have a chat, mm. sit down, certainly in stage three after you've had your shot. So you're not hanging out. You're feeling hopefully really good wow. now. And you come into the friendly face in stage three and have a chat. Mm. Coffee, coffee, tea. Crosswords. We, yeah, crosswords. <laughs> Maybe an activity, sometimes snacks. Oz Harvest has been actually really good mm-hmm. um, to provide some food. So sometimes there's luscious food to eat as well. Mm. It's a very positive place. It is. Yeah. It is. And I think for a lot of our clients, they haven't often accessed other health services. So I think certainly we can be 
that you know point of contact for a lot of clients who wouldn't you know necessarily access other health services um, and obviously they're seeing you know the same friendly faces in the staff team that they have you know over a few years so there's a real sense of you know respect and trust from both sides mm. they can use the internet we can look yeah. some, something up on our computers as well for them mm. you know it's um it's a do everything space, really. And are you able to kind of, you know, administer just a, a bit of, you know, any lumps and bumps and a bit of first aid if they've got anything like that then and there? And yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yep. probably a bit of a relief it's too, without having to go to find other health services and simple right. dressings can be done yeah. and referral if need be to other services like Kirkman Road next door. (laughs) (laughs) People, because of stigma and just the poor health care, I guess, that they receive in hospitals, are reluctant Mm -hmm. to go in. So that just feeds in this idea that um, our guys don't utilise services early. Well, on purpose that they don't. Mm. And so by the time something's really serious, that is when they do come in and get seen mm. and so it just perpetuates this sort of negative mm. um, idea of our, of our clients based on well misconceptions really mm-hmm. mm. absolutely and I think it's just a, a bit of a reminder in terms of you know we talk about sort of cultural awareness and you know mm. awareness of people's sort of vulnerabilities but absolutely when we're presenting a service that people don't want to access it is only going to create an environment where they're going to have to access it at some point when they're probably sicker. The idea that it's only ever going to be drug related while they're coming in to a service is just so bizarre. Yeah, it's illogical. These are humans that can get any condition that anyone else can have Mm. and the idea they're coming in to just do drug seeking Mm. is ridiculous. Mm. It's very sad. But it's all about lack of education, really, isn't it? I think when people haven't quite understood and the stigma that sits around drug use still, I suppose you're at the forefront of all of um, the experiences that those clients are living through, which is, it is, it's very sad. Mm -hmm. And we only know part of their story. Um, And one of the privileges has been listening to some client stories Mm. which are really quite harrowing Mm. and I guess when you're seeing someone in hospital you're only just seeing that snapshot of the person Mm. and not knowing the background um, of that person and and really we see people who have really suffered some horrendous not all of them but some horrendous trauma Mm. in their life and that's going to affect how they interact with the world Um, and there's a whole lot of talk about trauma-informed care Mm. whatever that means but it can mean just listening to that person and giving the space and being welcoming and all those other things that are a bit intangible um, is very helpful. Mm. Well, thank you both. Is there anything that we haven't covered that you think we need to cover? Change laws um, on drugs, drug law reform, I think we need to talk about. Let's talk about that. Okay. So if, there, if you could wave your magic wand, uh, what would you want to see in this space? I think just more kind of progressive drug laws. You know, Uniting have been doing a fair treatment campaign for quite some time now, just looking to make our drug laws more realistic and workable um, and fairer. Mm. Um, And I think just really moving with the times, Mm. you know. I think we could just, if things could just change to make things less punitive, less, you know, stigma-filled, I think it would just benefit 
so many people. I don't think people realise the harms that um, these laws... I mean, the, the thing is, the law is brought in to reduce harms, presumably, but the harms that they cause are immense. Mm. So if you've got drug charges... Um, that means it's problematic to get a job. Yeah. And so that just has this knock-on effect. I mean, we've got a high price of um, rental. Mm. So that means that you probably can't now afford anything suitable to live in. Like the knock-on effects in someone's life is horrendous. And it stems back to um, punitive drug laws mm. that probably need to change um, just so people's lives aren't impacted mm. um, the way they are now. Absolutely. And so they can really just function as they would if they were any other person in society, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, laws that make it prohibitive for them to participate well, many other in laws society doesn't have, help anyone. Many other laws have come in to protect um, various people. And um, we live in a diverse society mm. and much of that diversity is now sort of protected but it would seem the last group to be protected would be people who use drugs Mm. Um, and there's a lot of people who use drugs that we don't know about but Mm. those people identified as using drugs um, seem to be the only ones that um, they're the other the ones that sort of we don't want to know about and we've we've collected everybody else into the group of of welcoming Um, this seems to be the last group that still stands alone yeah yeah and it's easy to other people isn't it yes absolutely and and kind of demonize choices that other people make absolutely yeah i think when it becomes something that's personal in your life your attitude may just change yeah probably pretty quickly i would imagine for some people (laughs) yeah well thank you both it's been an absolute pleasure chatting with you and getting to know um all of the sort of inner workings of working in an injectable centre. It's been fascinating to hear about it and I really appreciate the time chatting Come join you. us. <laughs> That's right, come for a tour. We run tours, like check our website out. <laughs> <laughs> we will have to pop in and have a tour. And for any nurses or um, maybe midwives who have trained in nursing who might be interested um, to know more, we'll pop some details in our show notes so they can have a little look, particularly about the um, campaign you were talking about as sure. well. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's been lovely. Thank you for having us. Thank Thank you. We'll be right back after a quick word about the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association's Member Advantage Program. Did you know that as a member of the New South Wales Nurses and Midwives Association, you can save thousands of dollars a year through our Member Advantage Program? Your union membership gives you access to discounts for everything from groceries, white goods from the good guys, holidays, and even a new car. You can access it through your Member Central portal. And if you're not yet a member, join today by going to nswnma.asn.au to enjoy the benefits straight away. That's it for this episode of The Shift with Shay. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Julie and Marge, and I look forward to seeing you in a fortnight with more stories from the world of nursing and midwifery. If you haven't done so yet, be sure to subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. And if you have an interesting story you'd like to share with us, get in touch by emailing us on the shift podcast at nswnma.asn.au. This podcast was recorded on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We pay respects to Elders past, present and emerging and recognise that this land was never ceded. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.